Welcome to the weekly podcast of Dr. Craig Lauderback. It's our prayer that your relationship with Jesus Christ will be strengthened through this broadcast. Thank you from everyone here at Craig Lauderback Ministries and enjoy the message. Well, how many are ready to take a journey? How many are ready to hear what God has for us this day? God has a word for us, a word that I believe will be transformational, a word that I believe will challenge us, but make us better, empower us, and equip us. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. The Apostle Paul says this, God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Today I want to talk about what it means to be just like Jesus. How many of you want to be just like Jesus? Some of you are saying, oh, I don't know if I can. Well, if there's a way, and we're going to examine that, because I believe there is, the Word shows us, then we can see an incredible transformation in our lives so that we can be just like Jesus. How many of you believe the world needs a lot more Jesus in it? I believe that as well. Well, if you look at our text, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church of Ephesus. Now, many of these people, because, you know, you've got a call to remembrance that the church wasn't that old. When Paul wrote this epistle, the church was well less than a decade old. And so Paul, after he came to Christ, saw to Paul that road to Damascus, that journey which transformed him forever. He was the one who was responsible for bringing the gospel to the church city of Ephesus. So many of the people who then committed their lives to Christ, they came out of idolatry. They came out of many different types of addictions, sexual sins. They had a history that they weren't proud of. And so with that, now finding Christ as Savior and really beginning to learn all about the Lord and how their lives can be transformed, their daily living, Whenever they would look back, and sometimes that's a dangerous thing to do, amen? When we look back at our past, it can haunt us. And these believers in Ephesus, they had regrets. Any of you have any regrets? Wish you could go back and hit the redo button? I think we all do. So they were no different from us. They had regrets. And that's why the Apostle Paul was motivated to encourage these new believers regarding who they are because of Jesus and how to overcome the memories of their past by knowing who Christ is in their present, which will totally reshape their future. Isn't that what Jesus does? He's a wonderful Lord. If you love him, say, I love you, Jesus. Just right now, just say, Lord, I love you. I love you. Hallelujah. So the Apostle Paul, he knew if these believers were really going to grow in their faith and the church was going to be established, just like you and I, he knew that they needed to understand his love. Not Paul's, but God's. Do you know God's love has no boundaries? None. We have limitations, and sometimes we put boundary lines on our love, but God's love has no boundaries. When you take and you understand the depth, our English language has several, it only has one word for defining love, but the Greek language has several words. And so when you look at our text, when Paul says in verse 4 of our text, Ephesians 2, he says, God who is rich in mercy because of what? His great love with which he loved us. That great love, the word love there is the word agape. Now the Greeks have five different words to define and describe love. But the word they use here is the word agape. It was a word that the Greeks created to describe God. And so that word is defined as sacrificial love. Love that gives expecting nothing in return. Divine love. The kind of love that loves us at our worst. How many of you have ever felt like you were unlovable? Because of maybe what you've said, 
what you've done, a moment that you would like to blot out from the history record of your life. Do you know God loves us at our worst? His love isn't based upon what we do. His love is based upon who He is. Scripture says God is love. It's one of His attributes. Love is not God, but God is love. And his love sacrifices. You can see a degree of a depiction of his love when you even look at the life of a mother with their child. From the moment of birth, that child cannot verbalize, I love you. Doesn't really have the ability to give a hug. Doesn't know how to say thank you. Communication skills aren't there. But yet the mother, in all hours of the night, tends to that child, feeds that child. Mother cares, bathes that child, gives and sacrifices at all hours at any expense on behalf of that child. Now that is a human analogy of a sacrificial love. God is so much more beyond that. Even when people mocked him while he was being crucified, he forgave. Agape. A love that gives, expecting nothing in return. When you look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul talks about this kind of love from God to mankind, which he says, God demonstrates. To demonstrate something means you put it into action. God demonstrates his own love, there it is again, agape, sacrificial love, toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is a verb, and a verb is always associated with action, doing something. And so again, God the Father demonstrated. It just wasn't talk. Talk is cheap. How many of you have had people promise you something and never to come through? I think that's just part of living life. Eventually that happens to all of us. But when God promises it, when God proclaims it, He fulfills it. Why? Because love demonstrates through action, while we were still sinners. Didn't deserve it. We were at our worst, yet He chose to love us. And that's the kind of love He wants to flow through all of us to others. 1952, there was a missionary by the name of Jim Elliott. He went to the nation of Ecuador with a missionary excursion. He had four other missionaries that accompanied him, and they were looking to bring the gospel to the Quechua tribe. This was pagan. They, they were known for, for, for killing people and for taking their lives. They, they were very uh, inclusive. No outsiders ever allowed in. Uh, a very threatening, evil type of practice they had with their religious faith and beliefs. So one day when the Lord just continued to move on the heart of Jim Elliot, he felt again that these people needed to hear the message of Jesus as much as those who live in the United States of America and other countries where there's a freedom to worship. So he and these four other missionaries went, preached the gospel. They were well received the first time. Uh, they, they, people responded, and, and it was very successful. And then after a short period of time, they ran out of supplies, and so they shared with the, peop with the people that we're going to return to where we came from to get more supplies and then come back and continue what we've done. So during their absence, there was a few people within that tribe who were very anti to the message of these missionaries. So during this separation, these people who were against the Christian missionaries began to sow lies, dissension, and, and undermine the people, suspicion, to create fear, telling all of the other tribal people, they're really here to hurt us and to kill us and take away, you know, what we have. So when the missionaries returned, Jamelia and the four others, with the supplies, they pulled the, the boat, came on to the land, and, and as they looked down the beach, they saw 10 individual, 10 tribesmen coming towards them. Thinking that this would be another reception, you know, a, a, another welcome, they got out of the boats, they began to wave, and then these tribesmen, all 10 of them, began to run and pulled out spears and other types of weaponry and massacred and, and killed, martyred every single one of those missionaries put to death. Now, why did these missionaries go? 
They knew they had no guarantee whether to live or to die. But they went because of the love of Jesus they had encountered. A love that's willing to sacrifice. A love that's willing to lay down its life. That's what Jesus did. He laid down his life because of love. He knew there was no other way around achieving forgiveness for the human race. Only through him. No other way, no other truth, no other life. He was the only, only way to salvation. And these missionaries understood it too. Now, I'm sure they didn't expect uh, what transpired because the first time was successful. But nevertheless, they laid down their lives. And why did they do that? Because they were just like Jesus. They had encountered God's great love, and they wanted these people to have that as well. And by embracing his love, not only these missionaries, but for every single one of us, if we really want to be all that God has called us to be and knows we can be through him, then that means we have to position our lives. After embracing his great life, love, we have to position ourselves to embrace his life. The word life in the Greek is the word zoe. It means life in fullness, body, soul, and spirit. So the first thing you need to understand when we're looking at this word life is that fullness of life cannot exist apart from Jesus. People can have a degree of life, a degree of pleasure, a degree of fulfillment, but not complete and total life, zoe, body, soul, and spirit. When you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, even when we were dead in trespasses, the antithesis of life, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So that means God, in His great infinite power, He created something from nothing. When something's dead, there's no life, no existence. And then because of Jesus, God the Father, in our lives, in every person that professes His Son's name, He instantaneously takes us the moment we profess Him as our Savior and Lord. He takes us from spiritual death a spiritual non-existence to spiritual life. Only God can bring something from nothing. Remember in Genesis, when God created, He created from nothing. If you look at Genesis 1, it says the earth was, with, was without form. It, it was void. Darkness covered the entire face of the earth. And then God spoke something into nothing. He had nothing to work with other than the authority of His Word. And guess what? That's more than enough. Amen? And he said, let there be light, and where there was nothing, darkness, void, no existence, no life, nothing, when he spoke, let there be light, something came from nothing. And spiritually, God desires to do that for every person. That's why he sent Jesus. We were created for a relationship with Almighty God. And this was the only way to restore the breach, to make a way. Jesus made a way when there was no other way. So you'll find no matter how hard anyone tries, apart from God, they are incapable of obtaining salvation. Can't buy it, can't earn it, can't work for it. Without God's help, without His intervention, there is no salvation. Just failure after failure. Wasting our time, our energies, trying to do something mankind could never do and will never be able to do apart from God. Had mankind not needed a Savior, Jesus would have never come. Amen. There would be no need for Him to have appeared 2,000 years ago in that Bethlehem stable in human form. Man could have figured it out, attributed it to science, and I thank God for science, but there are some things science can't address. Amen? Amen. And so now we find God did what we couldn't do because of his great love, and that great love is what restores life. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to provide not just life, but abundance of life. An abundance, an overflow. One of his names in the Old Testament is El Shaddai. The God who is what? More than enough. That's abundance. God has abundance. His storehouse never runs dry. There's always more than enough. It's like when Jesus was walking the earth in earthly form. You know, when he would perform a miracle, did Jesus say, oh, that was my last miracle for the day? I, 
You know, I've run out. I've got to go get some more, and I'll be back a little later. Come and see me this time tomorrow right here in this, this valley, and we'll feed the multitudes too while you're here. He, he, he doesn't run out. We do have human limitations, but God's storehouse has no limitation. He never runs out. He always has more than enough, and that's what abundance is. He came to provide abundance. What did Jesus say in John 10, 10? I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You know, it's not enough to have life. God says, I want, I want to give more than you can handle. I, I want to give you what I have. Overflowing, never-ending abundance. El Shaddai, that's his name. God the Father made a way for us to inherit and access this abundant life through Jesus. And now through his death, we have this life accessible if we know the Lord. See, I believe there's a lot of Christians who are living out their days without accessing the abundant life God has for them. We think the way man is represented, whether they have abundance or if there's a shortage, a lack, that the same thing is applicable to Almighty God. You know, don't measure God by man. Measure men by God. You ever have people compare you to someone else and say, you can do better? That's not fair. Do you know nowhere in Scripture did God compare one man with another man or one woman with another woman? We're always compared to God. And now, because of Jesus, we compare our lives to Him. That's why the title of this message, that's what it means to be just like Jesus. Compare and then allow Him to empower. Amen? God's great love. There's nothing like it. His life, there's nothing like it. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. So in order for the life of God to come through us, we have to lay down our life, die to ourselves. That independent spirit. Let me finish the verse and I'll expand more. Paul says again, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So in other words, both God and us, spiritually, cannot be co-reigning and co-ruling. What, what am I saying? I'm saying that one sits on the throne, the other submits to whoever is on the throne. And Paul says, that's why I die. I was, he was devout. He was a Jewish rabbi. But yet he missed God big time by persecuting Christians, thinking they were against the ways of God, not realizing until Jesus opened his eyes that it was the message from God and the continuation. Jesus indeed was the Messiah that the Jews had so long waited for. And once his eyes were opened, he understood, Paul can't call the shots anymore. Jesus is on the throne of my life. And that's why he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. I died so that only Christ would live in me and through me. He takes the reins. He makes the decisions. I simply yield my will, my power, my ability to choose to God by saying yes to whatever he requires of me. And when we do that, when we remove ourselves from that throne of our lives, from that place of authority, and we give that authority, that throne, to Almighty God through His Son Jesus, then what that does, that empowers Jesus to release His abundance, His zoe, His life, body, soul, and spirit into every avenue, every arena of our lives, personally and everything connected around us. And all because once we say yes to Him and no to ourselves being in charge any longer, then there is that supernatural phenomenon that Paul talks about that when we committed our lives to Jesus, how many of you remember when you prayed the prayer of salvation? Maybe as a child, maybe as an adult, a senior adult, maybe as a teenager. But how many of you remember when you said yes to Jesus and gave your life to him? Do you know the moment you prayed that prayer, something supernatural happened? Something we can't see with a natural eye, but was visible in the spirit realm. Something that God saw as well as the kingdom of darkness. The moment we prayed that prayer of salvation, God himself took up residence 
in every person who prays that prayer of commitment to Jesus Christ. Not only does the Holy Spirit come in and take up residence, but then the Bible says the moment you prayed that prayer, spiritually you were translated back in time all the way to when Jesus hung on that cross. And at that point, because you committed your life to Him, then Scripture teaches that you then, not only when Christ was crucified, but when you committed your life to Christ, your sin in your life was co-crucified with Him. Think about that. When He died, then the moment you said yes to Jesus, you then were taken back to all of the sin that had controlled your life. All of the penalties from that sin that were required to be brought against you as an individual and me as well. All of that, when Jesus was crucified, those nails went through your sin and my sin as well. We were crucified with Christ. Then when he was buried, when he died, he died to sin. He died to anything the enemy would have authority over. And when he was buried, we were co-buried with Christ as well. Satan lost control. When we died to our sin, when we died to that spiritual curse, we died with Jesus. And that means when he was resurrected, hallelujah, we were co-resurrected with him. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus was resurrected and walked out of the tomb, he left those grave clothes in the tomb? He left your sin, my sin, in that tomb. Why? He said it on the cross, three words. It is finished. When he rose from the dead, he left death, sin, all of it, in the grave. And because we were co-resurrected, that's what the Word teaches then that means sin lost its grip on you when you said yes to Jesus. You left sin and death in the grave. Your sin, your past, the bondages, the addictions, the things you've wrestled with, it was crucified. It died. And when Jesus rose, we co-resurrected with him. It was left in the grave with the sins of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. When he ascended to the right hand of the Father, do you know Paul says we co-ascended with Jesus? That means this world's not our home. We'll spend a lifetime here. But once our purpose is fulfilled, Paul says in Thessalonians, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We're going to heaven. We're going to his presence. Why? Because when Jesus ascended, because we were co-crucified and co-buried with him, and because we co-resurrected with him, we co-ascended with him when he went to the right hand of the Father. And when Jesus sat down at the seat on the right hand of the Father, we're co-seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because we're joint heirs. We're the brothers and sisters of Jesus. Everything that is true for Jesus is part of our spiritual inheritance. We've been grafted in. We've been adopted. Hallelujah for adoption. Amen? And we have not been denied any good thing, any of the inheritance that God the Son has is also available and supposed to be a part of our lives. We are co-seated with Christ. And then Scripture says Jesus reigns for eternity, which means we will co-reign with Christ. Doesn't, doesn't Scripture call us priests and kings? And doesn't Scripture say, I think it's in Peter, he says we will reign through the ages with Christ as priests and kings. Right now, you're sitting next to a priest or a king. If you know the Lord, that is your spiritual position. Hallelujah. King Alex right there. And, and, and priest Mary Ann right next to him, right? Or reverse. King Mary Ann and priest Alex. All because of what Jesus made possible. And this is what empowers us as believers. Once we embrace His love, once we embrace his life, this empowers us as believers to live life, here you go, at his level. Amen. There's too many people, too many believers who are living life beneath what God has made available. If we were, and we are, co-crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, seated, and reigning with Christ, then that means to live at any level beneath that to just accept circumstances. You ever ask someone, hey, how's it going? Well, under the circumstances, I mean, 
Sometimes there are certain people you never want to ask that question of. Hey, how's it going? Well, you got an hour? No. But you, you, you hear what I'm, I'm saying. People are living beneath what God has for them. We all face trouble. I mean, it happens. It's inevitable. Stuff happens, and I mean that appropriately. Stuff happens. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Christians get sick. Christians have financial issues. Christians go through family matters. Maybe abandonment, abuse. Christians wrestle with the same things the world wrestles with. But the difference is, the world, without Jesus, there is no way out. But with him, there is a way of escape. There is a way to strengthen ourselves. There is a way, a path that we can take that will lead us into the blessing, into the provision, into the victory, everything that God desires for us. Jesus, when he came, he came with a message, a message that defied the narrative of the world, similar to where we're at right now. The world is trying to change the Christian narrative. They're trying to say that which Scripture calls evil is no longer evil. They're trying to change people's opinion, writing their own Bibles, writing their own talking points at the expense of God and the infallibility of His Word. But God hasn't changed. I'm so glad that's in the Bible, aren't you? He's the same yesterday. Come on, say it with me. Today and what? Tomorrow. Yesterday, today, and forever. Tomorrow. He doesn't change. That means His Word doesn't change. So why do we change His narrative in order to be accepted by the narrative of the world? Do you know Jesus was never involved in politics? Ever. Never involved in politics. But yet the politicians and the religious. Don't you hate a religious spirit? It's more interested about how they look rather than how we present the Lord God Almighty. And Jesus just came preaching the truth. He, he didn't bend. People said, oh my goodness, he's so dogmatic. Well, you know, he just knew he was right. When you're right, you can afford to be dogmatic. Because if you change the narrative, you're going to hurt so many others around you who are following your lead. He was loving, but yet he never changed. He was consistent. I can trust someone like that. Someone that gives the word, and I know they're never going to go back on. I can trust someone who lives what he preaches. That's why now it's been over 40 years I've been walking with Jesus. This upcoming January, I will be saved 50 years. January 2024. 50 years. That's not because I couldn't find a job. Well, what are we going to do? If I can't preach, I won't do anything the rest of my life. I had nothing to do with it. It's because I can trust someone who I know never changes who always has my best interest and the best interests of others at hand. I trust him. I trust the one who, when I face sickness, he's healed me, he's been faithful. When I've fallen short, he's forgiven me. I, I really identify with the words of David in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 3, where he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all my sins. How many of you are grateful the Lord forgives all your sins? David said he forgives all my sins. And David had some on there that especially stuck out like his sexual adultery with Bathsheba, like having her husband, Uriah the Hittite, sent to the front lines to be killed so he could have her, his wife, as his wife, meaning Uriah's wife as David's wife. He had sins that really haunted him, but he had encountered the grace of God. David said, he forgives all my sins, and he heals all my diseases. David got sick, and he needed healing just like all of us. Thank God we serve a God who still heals. I thank God that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still in operation today. I've heard some people say, well, you know, the gifts of miracles and the gifts of healing have passed away. Then why do you go to the doctor? Why do doctors then have more power than God? Doctors, absolutely, God has given them wisdom and knowledge to bring healing and health to people. There is wisdom found in those arenas. But when man... It's a dead end. Well, there's nothing else we can do but God. Did you hear me? But God. He has no limitations. None. Can you say, bless the Lord? Praise His name. Hallelujah. When we operate at His level, 
everything changes. But some people say, well, I am a Christian, and I, I think I'm operating at his level, but how come I'm not seeing and experiencing the same results? I have found that there are two opponents, the two greatest opponents, in fact, that come against our faith, and they are this. One, ignorance, a lack of knowledge, just not knowing. And two, unbelief, or you could call it doubt. If we're really going to see and operate and live and enjoy the benefits that come at God's level, which we have been given legal authority to access and live in that realm as Christians, how else could we advance the church and the message and the cause of Christ? He said we would do greater things than him. And so if we're going to live at that level, then we, we have got to up our ante. Or think of it this way, you've got to get hungry and thirsty. Now in the world, you overeat, you overdrink, that can cause you harm. But spiritually, you can never overeat when it comes to the food of God, the manna from heaven, His Word. You can never drink and never overdrink from the rivers of life, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit. We can always have more. That's why Jesus said those who are hungry and those who are thirsty, he was speaking figuratively, spiritually. If you're really spiritually hungry and if you're really spiritually thirsty, then I'll fill you. Why? Because when you're really hungry and when you're really thirsty, when you're desperate, you do anything to fight Jesus. That woman who had the issue of blood in Scripture. She was considered unclean according to Jewish law. And if she was to touch anyone, that person would also become unclean. What she did after years of exhausting all of her financial means and, and through other medical treatments and they didn't have the technology much of what we possess today. And after exhausting everything she had, as well as all of her emotion and her hope, one day she heard about this rabbi from Nazareth. How when people would come to him, they were healed. And she said within herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. I'll be made whole. She was desperate. She found where he was. The crowds shut him out. She had no way to approach him. Finally in an attempt and then falling to the ground. People stepping around her, some possibly on her. She reached her hand through the legs and the dirt at the moment when the hem of his garment was accessible. Just the very tip. And she touched it. This is God, the God who loves you. Scripture says Jesus stopped. And he said, who touched me? It's a city market flooded with pedestrians, shoppers, as well as the followers, the inquisitive, those four Jesus against him. One of the disciples said, Lord, people are pressing against us everywhere. This is a nightmare. You know, what do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He goes, no. Jesus said that because he felt virtue, healing, flow through him to whoever it was that was hungry, that was thirsty, that was desperate. And that desperation, that hunger, that thirst drew the power of God from the throne of heaven through Jesus, God on earth, and into that woman's body. She was desperate, she was hungry, she was thirsty. The reason some, not all, but some, aren't operating at that level is because they're not really desperate yet. Not really thirsty. You know, the average Sunday church attendance now across America is 1.5 times a month. Now, when I see that statistic, and some of you have read that statistic as well. I say, how do you go to church for half a service? 
Maybe you come in after the music. I don't know. But how do you go half attendance? Or you have one foot in the door or the other, and one of the greeters or ushers says to you, what are you doing? Well, I'm just having half attendance today. I can watch that TV on the wall there and hear it, but I don't want to come all the way in. I'm not quite sure yet, right? But 1.5, and then they wonder why they wrestle with certain issues in their life. They wonder why their faith level just doesn't seem to perform like I've read all through the Bible and I see others who are all in for Jesus. You see, when we're 1.5, when God wants us at 10, you get 1.5 results. Are you with me? 1.5 of faith, of faith. Man, I want it all, amen? How about you? I'm, ti- I'm tired of anything less than God's standard. I believe much of what we see in Christianity today is abnormal when it comes to faith. It's abnormal not to have the power of God in your services. It's abnormal not to have a presence of worship and a desperation when people sing and express their love for God. And don't worry about what the person on the left or right is thinking. They give their all when they sing, when they clap. It's abnormal not to see His power demonstrated and the sick being healed. You see, what Jesus did during His earthly walk and the New Testament church did in the formation of the book of Acts, that was normal Christianity. Anything less is abnormal. Somebody better give God praise because that's truth. Come on, embrace that or you're going to stay stuck an entire lifetime. God has so much more, so much more for us. That's why we need to understand His blessing. So choose to believe the promise that Paul speaks in Ephesians 1.3 when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at this. Who has blessed us? It's already done. Past tense. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, before it gets down here, are you, everybody, you're watching me. See, those of you online, where are you? You're over there. Watch me. Before it gets down here, every spiritual blessing, you got to make sure your focus is up there in the heavenly places. That's where it begins. That's where revival begins. That's where healing begins. And that's what Jesus made possible for us because of allowing us to be co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected, co-ascended, co-seated, and co-reigning with Him because of the cross. But we've got to do like Jesus. Every time a miracle was released on earth, Jesus spoke to the heavenlies where the Father was seated. And he got the resource of heaven there, down here. And it's the same pathway for us. Are you hearing me? This will set you free. How many of you want to live without the power of God? I don't. But I don't want to live with sensationalism either. When people don't have the power of God, they put on a good show and it's entertaining. God doesn't want that. And I think that's what has happened all across America and other nations. Because there is an absence of power, people then create an environment that's entertaining, inspiring. And there's nothing wrong with wholesome entertainment. But that is not a substitute for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How many believe that? The third person of the Trinity for Christians is right here. Right here. Everybody do this. You are an explosion waiting to happen. God himself, the dunamis, the same word in our English language derives dynamite. Anybody ever see a stick of dynamite or multiple sticks ignite and blow? That's the dynamic that we have with us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. God intends for us to encounter Him at any given moment when the need demands for someone else or for us. But you'll never get that living on 1.5 faith. Well, they still have one foot in the door and out the door back there. Well, they got to choose. Hope nobody closes that door on them. That's going to hurt. Is this making sense? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So what am I saying? Choose to believe that you have been blessed. There's always other voices that make us feel so inadequate. 
Choose to believe. Choose to believe what God has said through his word. Choose to believe that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Choose to believe that the power and authority of Jesus Christ is also available for you. Because of the cross. That's why some people, oh, the cross, the cross, the cross. There is no faith without the cross. Because of the cross, God has spiritually elevated you to this level I'm talking about. You. Look at the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. And you can respond and say, you talking to me? He's talking to you. This is God's promise, God's word for you. Choose to believe the words of Jesus. John 14, 12 reads, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And listen to this, and greater works. Greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. What is Jesus saying? He wants us to be just like him. And even do greater works. It's his mouth. It's not some other religious leader. It's not a politician. It's Jesus. He said it. You'll do what I did. And even greater works. God wants us to be just like him. And through Jesus Christ, guess what? The Father has made a way. All of heaven's resources are accessible for you. You can do what he did and continue to do what he does. But we've got to get beyond what we feel. The mind is a tricky thing. That's why Satan zeroes in on that. Not only with other narratives and lies, but then with fear, concern, worry. Sometimes, maybe some of you right now are facing some very serious things. God knows that. And because he's in your future, if you let him, he's already prepared for your break, breakthrough and, and for the resolve of that situation. But you got to get from here where doubt and unbelief rule and get up there in the heavenlies where faith, the arena of faith. If you fight the devil within the arena of fear, you'll lose every time. But if you take him into the arena of faith, you will win every time. Satan is no match for faith. In our minds, we reason. But when we go into the arena of faith, there's no reasoning with the devil. Just let God do what he does. Release that Zoe, that life, that greater things at the level that comes when you're in that kind of relationship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do some things through Christ. Come on now. So what was it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can't do anything without Christ because he's not there to strengthen me. But with Christ, Paul said it, I can do all things. Don't put limits on that. All means all. In closing, let me ask you three questions. First, what's standing in between you and your blessing? When I say your blessing, that breakthrough, that answer to prayer, Whatever it is, something that's needed, that's necessary right now in your life. It's different for everybody. Some may be similar in ways, but everybody is individual. So what is it right now that's standing in between you and your blessing? Second question, what is it right now that's standing in between you and your ministry or your lack of ministry? God has called us all to serve. It's in his word. So what is it that Satan has used to try and make you feel disqualified to serve or inadequate to serve or intimidated to serve? What are the thoughts? What are the reasonings that the enemy brings against you that's standing in between you and your ministry? My third question, what's holding you back from doing something great for Jesus Christ? Because he said we do greater things. Now, don't define great by how you feel greatness should be defined. Great is defined, Scripture says, even when one person in obscurity, no one sees it, it's not covered by the press, no one hears about it, but God sees it, He hears it, He knows it. If one sinner repents and returns, all of heaven rejoices. You've just done a great thing 
You've been part of the miracle of salvation, bringing something from nothing. What's standing in between you and God for doing something great in his name? Here's some great counsel. Remember this. You are not what you feel. Say that. I am not what I feel. Say it out loud. One more time. I am not what I feel. So you are not what you feel. You are what God has proclaimed you are in his word. Sometimes there's a great conflict here and here with God's word, his proclamation. You're not what you feel. Sometimes you feel defeated, you feel weak, you feel broken. I mean, there may be residues of what we encounter. It may demonstrate itself in our, our mental strength or our physical strength or our physical health. But what we're going through doesn't determine that that's who we are. Do you know when I was diagnosed two years ago with cancer, I never said, I have cancer. I said, cancer is affecting this part of my body. And God's going to heal me. And he did. He did. I mean, I'm cancer-free because this body belongs to the Holy Spirit. He didn't like to reside with something that's not a part of his kingdom. He healed me. When I give my testimony, I never say, my cancer. I say the cancer. I'm not taking ownership of it. I didn't want it. I never invited it. And I wasn't going to allow it to remain. And I took the steps through prayer and wonderful medical professionals that tended to my needs. And they took care of allowing health to be restored with the hand of Jesus on top of every one of those medical professionals so that I stand here restored better than ever. Hallelujah. Better than ever. All because of Jesus. I never assumed ownership. I never called it mine. It was an adversary. And so what are you facing right now? Some people say, this is just my lot in life. If that lot doesn't measure up with what God has ordained, don't assume ownership. Don't call it my lot. This is the fight of faith I'm fighting right now. Don't give place to the devil. Don't allow the enemy to intimidate you. And you're thinking, you are not what you feel. You're what God has proclaimed in his word. What does he say in his word? He says, you are forgiven. How many are glad that you're forgiven? He says, you are free. You're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You are the presence of God wherever you go. Do you know no matter what the climate, no matter what the challenges, even if there's harm designated to come against you, from an adversary or even from the kingdom of darkness, you're the power of God when you walk into that place. You're the presence of God because of who lives within you. You are light in the darkness. Do you hear me? You are light in the darkness. That means Satan loses his edge with darkness the moment you walk into that situation. Even not knowingly aware of what may be transpiring, you immediately turn on the light. You are the deliverance to the captive. Because of Jesus in you, you can pray for the sick. You can pray for the oppressed. And they can be healed. They can be delivered. You just got to stop believing that it's just maybe others flow with that, but I don't. That is part of your inheritance. You are the presence of God. You become the voice of God when that voice measures up to the Word of God. That's why you have a ministry. You can make a difference. You're not only the light and deliverance of God, you are more than a conqueror. Even though you may be in the midst of the battle, even though you may have gotten knocked down and you feel like you can't get back up, you will get back up because of who lives within you. You are more than a conqueror. You are blessed in the city, it says in Deuteronomy 28. Blessed in the field. Blessed when you come and when you go. You are Satan's worst nightmare. Not because of you, but because of who lives within you. And the authority you've been given because of the cross. It all goes with his level. Hallelujah. It starts with his love, then his life, then we find ourselves at his level. How many of you want to operate 
at that kind of spiritual level that Jesus has made available. How many want that? How many are hungry? How many are thirsty? Or are you just content to exist at 1.5? I'm telling you, God is calling the church away from 1.5. Mediocrity, complacency. He's calling us to be radical in our faith. Not weird, but radical. There's a difference. There's a difference. Every believer is God's spiritual offspring. So you are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. And you enjoy his same inheritance from the Father. So what am I saying? Lay down your doubt and unbelief. Lay it down by replacing it with a hunger and a thirsting for God's word. As Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Don't be in the house of God 1.5 a month. Don't be 1.5 when you read the Bible at home. Don't be 1.5 when you pray. Don't be 1.5 and demonstrating your faith and your love for Almighty God. Be all in. Be hungry. Be desperate. Be thirsty. Something's happening. It's on the horizon. Even as Elijah, when he had prayed for rain, finally he asked his servant, do you see anything? And he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist or hand. And that was the beginning of a miracle. The abundance of rain. The drought was over. There has been a spiritual drought over the face of this earth and this nation as well. And it's about to come to an end. So it's time to get hungry. It's time to get thirsty. It's time to be desperate. It's time to say, I'm no longer satisfied with 1.5. I am all in. Hallelujah. How many of you are all in? Come on. How many of you are all in? Praise them. Come on. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Let me see your desperation. Release your faith. Speak your faith. It's time to say, I'm just like Jesus. Shout that out. Come on, say, I'm just like. Come on, say it again over and over. I'm just like Jesus. Come on. I'm just like Jesus. I'm just like Jesus. I'm just like Jesus. Let's all stand. We're going to sing this song. I love this. They sang it during the worship set. It's called Greater. Hallelujah. About doing the greater things, the greatness of God. Let's sing about it. And I want you to sing with hunger, with thirst. I want you to sing and worship. Lift your hands with desperation. If you want to dance in His presence, do it. But let's be radical because we want all He has for us. Come on. Put your hands together. Come on, church. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To receive new audio messages every week, subscribe and rate us now on iTunes. Visit our website at clmin.org to register and learn more about Craig Lauderback Ministries and Dr. Craig Lauderback. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Dr. Craig Lauderback. It's our prayer that your relationship with Jesus Christ will be strengthened through this program.